morning, everyone. Welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Rich, and uh, I'm one of the co-lead pastors here, and I just want to say thank you uh, for making an active choice to be here this morning. Uh, the sun is out. There's lots of things going on. My daughter's in the championship soccer game in about an hour, and uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, thank you for choosing to be here. If I go jump in the middle of my thing, it might be because I got some text that my daughter scored a hat trick, but that's probably not going to happen, so you should be fine. So thank you for being here. Those of you who are listening online, thank you for listening online. Uh, we know you can't always be present here, and just the fact that you're listening is fantastic. Um, I do want to point out as we begin, in your bulletin on the inside right is a blank space, and that's there for you to use for jotting down questions, verses, ideas, um, action steps, whatever you need to use to uh, process this morning's teachings. Please take advantage of that, and if you're listening online, grab some paper and do the same. Uh, today we are diving into week six of our series entitled The Sermon on the Mount, in which we've been looking at a sermon Jesus taught, considered by many to be the greatest, most powerful, and challenging sermon ever given. That's pretty big. And uh, the sermon takes place not long after Jesus had gone through a season of 40 days of fasting and temptations, preparing him for ministry. And it's out of this time that Jesus started preaching this, this good news, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And immediately his words begin drawing people into relationship with him. Jesus starts to call his first disciples then. He starts doing a ton of healing, including people who were blind, the demon-possessed, the diseased, the paralyzed, all while proclaiming this good news. And as he's doing this, everywhere he goes, the news about him spreads all over the region. We see this in Matthew 4, 25. It says, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. And these crowds were super diverse, we need to remember, and it's worth noting because they represented all these different regions, backgrounds, genders, cultures, faiths, beliefs, customs, education, financial standings, including those who of the day would have been considered the clean and the unclean. So it's this incredibly diverse crowd along with his disciples that are now following Jesus around. They are captivated in what Jesus has to say, what he does, how he acts, how he thinks, how he responds, and how he lives his day-to-day -day life. And that gets us to where we are in our scripture today. So if you have your Bible, if you could turn it to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start with verse 1. Um, if you don't have it, that's fine. The text will be displayed on the wall behind me. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 1. It says this, Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, we ask that you would move in our midst in a way that we might see you. Help us to understand what that means. 
today, what it, what it means to be pure in heart, what it means to see you. It's something we all long for, God. We need you. We don't want to feel alone. We want to know that you're with us. And so, God, we ask your Holy Spirit to move, to encourage, to challenge and support and enlighten us that we might know you better. And pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Jesus sees the disciples. He sees these crowds of followers, and he begins to teach. He's painting us a picture of what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. And with each stroke of the brush, Jesus shows us the depth of what this means and what this looks like in action in our day-to-day life. And each week if we've been looking at this text, we've seen this picture Jesus is painting for us, and it goes against everything we think and know. And so before we dive in, we need to remember that we cannot do this on our own, nor is Jesus asking us to do this on our own. In order for this picture of the kingdom and living in the kingdom to be made manifest in our lives, we need God, we need the Holy Spirit in us. And as we look at the Beatitudes, as we look at these texts, we can see this truth from the very beginning. It's why I'm convinced these all build off of each other and why it starts with being poor in spirit in mourning and meekness. It continues to build off of these to include those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and those who understand and live out what it means to be people who are merciful. It's also important to note as we look at our specific beatitude today that we remember that each of these beatitudes are highly relational. They connect to our relationship with God, our relationship with ourself, and our relationship with others. So with that, The beatitude we're looking at today is this one, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, I don't know about you, but just hearing this brings up a lot of questions. Um, What does that mean, pure? How do we do that? How does this, what does the heart mean? And what does it really mean to see God? And so in order to get into this, we're going to dissect this text, and we're going to look at those three key phrases, this word heart, pure, and what it means to see God. And we're going to start with the easiest one to understand, and that's the word heart. Now, the word heart here in the Greek is the word cardia, and it's where we get the word cardiac. And so as you can imagine, it means it refers to that organ in our body that is responsible for circulating the blood in our system. But more than that, it's regarded as the center of our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual life. It's it's understood as our soul and our mind, as that's where one's thoughts, passions, desires, our appetites, our affections, our purposes, endeavors, and one's will and character come from. And if you think about it, we get this. In our culture, we speak of the heart in similar ways, like when we say something like, I love you with all of my heart, or let's get to the heart of the matter. And that's exactly how this word heart is employed in scripture. It's used uh, some 105 times in 98 verses in the New Testament alone. It means the center of who we really are, the epicenter of our being. We see this in the Old Testament as well. The word heart is often interchangeable with the word for mind. 
And so it gives us insight as to this idea of it being the center of all of who we are, both our physical emotions, our thoughts, and our spirit. We see an example of this in 1 Samuel 16, 7. Samuel is, being, is considering Eliab, David's older brother, as the one who should be anointed king. And God tells him, uh, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Deuteronomy 4.29 says this, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. And then we also see that Jesus refers to the heart frequently in his ministry. Just one example, Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the heart is the center of our being. Now, Jesus says that, those who are blessed, those who enjoy favor, favorable position with God, who have the most fortunate state, if you will, are those who are pure at heart. Which means we have a problem. Because scripture also tells us that the heart of humanity is anything but pure. And we all kind of know that, right? Because we have a sense of our own self. As far as the scripture goes, the human heart on its own is wicked, Jeremiah 17 says this, the heart is devious above all else. It's perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. And we also know that we need a change of heart in order to experience the salvation that is offered through Jesus. Romans says this, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So not only do we see that the heart is the center of our being, but that our heart is naturally wicked. We're born with this proclivity, if you will, towards sin. And in our fallen state, we often don't even know it. But God, who is God, searches our heart. He knows us, and he knows the truth. But the scripture says if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts, we can be saved. Now, I want to give a reminder that echoes through this whole text, and that comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And it says this, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So again, I want us to see everything we're talking about cannot happen without the work of the Holy Spirit in and around us, even if we're not aware of it. And that brings us to the next thing we should consider, and that's this idea of purity, because this is a little harder for us to wrap around. The Greek word here used in our text as translated as pure is the word kartharo. And um, that word has two meanings, really. It's where we get the word catheter, and catharsis. Nice combo. Uh, so catharo means clean. It means pure. It means without contamination or corruption or defilement. It also can mean unmixed, genuine, clean, free of one mind and heart. And so not only does it mean pure in the sense of clean, 
but it also means pure in the sense of being one, with the opposite of this being double-mindedness. So within this context, Jesus here is speaking about the heart of someone whose sins have been forgiven and whose heart has been made new, whose purity comes not from themselves, but from the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. And so to get at this, as an example, I want you to think about a nice, cold uh, glass of water. And picture how clean and pure and clear it is, right? Now say a foreign object falls in that water. Let's call that a fly. And immediately, this becomes uh, a noticeably impure, contaminated glass of water. Nobody wants to drink a glass of water that has a fly in it, and we all know why, because flies like poop, and no one wants that, right? And so you remove the fly, and once again, the water appears to be pure. But the truth is that there are now things that you cannot see, unseen contaminants that make it impure, though it may look just fine. That's the problem we saw with the Pharisees in Jesus' day. And it's the problem with all humanity, if we're really being honest. Our hearts have been contaminated by sins, even if we hide them really well so no one else can see them. We live in a culture that likes to give the external impression of purity, or at the very least, we don't need anything and we don't need help from anyone. And sadly, I think the church is often the worst culprit of this. But the truth is that at our core, at our heart, right, it remains unclean, impure. It remains divided, and it continues to contaminate the things that we do. Jesus speaks of this in Matthew 23. He says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to, pe- to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So citizenship, participation in the kingdom of God looks very different than how we generally live our lives. External, outward, human righteousness might lead people to think you're pure, But that doesn't work with God because God sees the heart. God says there has to be an internal work, a transformation at our very core of what we do and who we are. The sins that have stained our hearts, if you will, need to be washed away. And the only way that can happen is through the blood of the resurrected Jesus. Now, this leads me to pause and differentiate between something. It's a little nerdy, it's a little theological, but I think it's helpful. Because there's these two concepts that we see a lot in Scripture, and it has to do with what we call positional and conditional purity. Positional purity is what happens when someone is saved by Jesus. When you're saved, God declares that you have been made new, that you are clean, that you are positionally holy because of the work of Christ. He has written your name in the book of life and declared that you are family, that you are a child of God with an 
eternal inheritance. He's made you positionally pure. And because of Jesus' work on the cross for all humanity, God no longer counts your sins against you. You are positionally pure, which is good news. Now, conditional purity is another matter. And the truth is that followers of Christ who are positionally pure, we don't always keep in step with the Spirit. We don't always make choices that represent Jesus. We don't always live in ways that allow us to be the ambassadors for Christ that we're called to be. In fact, we may even live in some ways like double agents, right? We act one way at church, and then we go someplace else, be it work or home or with our families, and we act another way. We may even be the kind of people who are like chameleons, and no matter where we go, we act and respond and live differently depending on who we're around at any given moment. As Christians, though, our thoughts, our motives, our behaviors, and our desires are not always pure because we waver at choosing to live God's way versus the world's way. Now, this doesn't change our position before Christ, but it does affect our fellowship, right? Because we are allowing things in our lives that are contrary to the new transformed nature of purity that we have in Jesus. And this is where this idea of pure hearts connects to the, the definition of being in one heart and mind. Although we are positionally pure, we tend to be double-minded, right? We are Christians, followers of Christ, children of God, people who are positionally pure, but we are double-minded in the way we live our life. So, to be pure in heart speaks to our position as Christians before God, but it also speaks to the condition of our walk with God. This doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. That's impossible. You cannot be. And again, these are not rules. These aren't things that we just have to do. We can't do this on our own. But it does press us to ask if we've experienced the saving grace of Jesus and if we've come to a place where Jesus is firmly established as the Lord of our lives. Not that we're perfect, but that we're authentic, that we're single-minded, if you will, in how we live our faith in our day-to-day. Now, this leads to the last phrase we need to understand, and that's this idea of being able to see God It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And in many ways, this is the greatest promise, right, that we've all want. Everyone wants to have the ability to see God. And this idea of seeing God definitely has a future application to it, for sure. Someday, all those who are saved are going to be able to be in heaven in this kingdom of God. And at that time, God's going to reveal himself to us in ways that we cannot fathom or understand. And we will see God. And again, this connects to this idea of being positionally pure, right? It's not something you did or earned. That is simply by the grace of God through the work of Jesus on the cross. So that's one aspect of this idea in the passage, seeing God. But I don't actually believe this is the main point Jesus is making here. I believe Jesus is connecting this more to conditional purity. And to understand this, we have to look at the Greek. So this is our last set of Greek phrases. This phrase, shall see, in the Greek, 
is the word horao, which can mean to see with the physical eyes. Don't get me wrong. It can mean that. But more so, it means to see with the mind, to perceive, to know, to be aware of, to discern, or to experience, or to become acquainted with through experience. So this word is less about physical sight and much more about mental and spiritual uh, discernment and perception. And if you think about it, we actually use this word see in similar ways in our culture today. So, for example, when you want someone to perceive what we are explaining, we might say something like, can you see what I mean? Or, Or when we want someone's will to change, we want them to see it our way. Or when we want someone to understand something without question, we want them to see it clearly. And when we know that experience will help someone discern or understand something, we prepare them for the experience by saying, just wait, you'll see, right? In every one of these cases, we're not talking about physical sight. That's not what we mean. What we really mean is you're going to get it. You're going to understand this. This is going to make sense to you. The context isn't about physical sight. It doesn't have anything to do with that. A person who is physically blind could have the same insight and understanding. And so Jesus is not necessarily talking about physically seeing, but he's talking about perception, understanding, and discernment. Author and theologian Greg Boyd um, tied this concept uh, more so even to our created image. And he used this example of how a dog can identify with humans in certain ways just based on their nature. So, for example, a dog can see humans and and, uh, understand hunger and thirst and and being tired or, or needing to use the bathroom, right? Because these are part of its nature that we share as humans. But there are many things that a dog cannot understand about humans because they're not made in our image. So, for example, um, when we sit down for a long period of time to read a book, for example, a dog has no idea what we're doing, right? Why are you sitting there staring at something for a long period of time? I don't get it, right? They don't get it because they are not made in our image. It's not part of their image. Now, as humans, we're made in the image of God, And so when we start living according to the Spirit, as we give our hearts, which is our our mind, our soul, our spirit, fully toward living pure, more single-mindedly for Christ versus the world, we begin to see God more and more. We start to perceive and understand and discern God and the movement of the Holy Spirit in and around and through us. So the more we practice this, the more we connect with this at our core, right, in our hearts, because we're made in the image of God, we start to see things more clearly. We begin to see God through the Spirit moving in all of the circumstances of our life. We see God's will being unfolded in our story where we didn't think it was. We start to see God's hand of provision and protection in our everyday experiences. We become perceptive to God's ways, and we become more discerning of God's heart and understanding when it comes to looking at the scriptures. 
we're able to see and experience God in new ways and trust the Spirit's leading and guiding in our life. We see hope in situations that our world says is hopeless. We see the heart of God as we serve and love those that God loves. And we better see and understand the sacrifices God made for us when we put others first. And the list goes on and on. We start seeing God everywhere we go. And that's the thing we need to really understand because we pray for discernment. We pray for guidance. We pray for direction and understanding. But the reality is God is always revealing God's self to us. God is always with us through the Holy Spirit. And God is ever about the business of guiding us and directing us. The problem is not with God's giving himself of revelation and direction and guidance. The problem lies with our inability to discern or sense the direction and guidance around us. And again, we cannot do this without the Holy Spirit. Now, with that, I want to give us kind of three principles to think about to help us kind of get ourselves into this beatitude that I think help us with this idea of seeing things um, and how what we see affects our understanding and perception of things. So, first one is that you um, only see what you're looking for. Recently, my Adidas wristwatch that I've had for almost 20 years died. It was a very sad day in my life because I've loved this thing. And as you can imagine, as it started showing signs of not keeping time, um, I wanted to look for a place to find uh, where it could get repaired. I've never in my life looked for a watch repair place. Turns out, one of the top five watch repair places in Seattle is right on 125th and Lake City Way. And it's been there for over 30 years (laughs) It's this little tiny place. And I've driven by it. The amount of times is ridiculous if I tried to calculate how many. I'm pretty positive I've literally parked in front of it multiple times. But I never knew it was there. Why? Because I wasn't looking for it. I had no need for it or desire. I never even thought in my mind, where's the nearest watch repair place? I wasn't looking for it. And this explains why many of us never see God. We aren't even looking for God, so of course, we miss seeing God. And in the spiritual realm, as in all of life, you only see what you're looking for. So the question there I have is, are you looking for God in your day-to-day life? Are you looking for God in the midst of your school, in your work, in your home, in your team, in your neighborhood, in your band, in your relationships, in your conflicts, in your struggles, in your doubts, when you travel? Are you looking for God? We need to be a people who are more attentively looking for the work of the Spirit in our lives. Now, the second principle is that we only see what we're able to see. So, for example... If I look up at the stars at night, I see nothing more than stars. Recently, I got to go to the Grand Canyon and at the very bottom of the Grand Canyon on a very clear night with an astronomer with this psychopathic, crazy-powered laser. 
uh, I was aware of how much more this person could see looking at the stars, constellations and galaxies, and he was far more aware of the orderly expanse of the universe when all I see is stars. We're looking at the same thing. But what this person could see and perceive and understand was very different from what I did. I was only able to see what I could see. And so another example might be when I look at Chinese writing, uh, I see strange shapes on a piece of paper, but someone else can see a poem or a speech or words of Confucius, right? I can only see what I'm able to see. Romans 1 says this, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Same idea, same root word there. Being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. The scriptures tell us that God's eternal power and divine nature are right there in front of us all the time. Just like that watch repair place that I've drawn by countless times over the last 30 years. It's right there. We just need the Spirit to help us see it. So the question there is, are you asking the Holy Spirit to help you see to help you perceive, to help you understand things the way God sees things in your day-to-day life? What if that was a prayer of ours everywhere we went? God, I want to see you. I want to understand what you're doing wherever you go. This beatitude is really saying, how fortunate is the person who has given their entire life to being lost in Jesus and has allowed the Holy Spirit to live through them because as they do, their understanding, their perception, and their discernment of who God is, of God's ways, of God's will, of God's heart, will never stop growing in them. That sounds amazing. Now, I have one more principle that I think is important for us to know, and that is that as followers of Christ, we are to help others see God. This is what it means to be Christ's ambassadors. We are to live in such a way that we are an example to others of Christ, that they may see a different way. We're to point others to Jesus, to help others understand, perceive, see the Holy Spirit at work around us. And we've we've heard this before, but the question there is then, how are you pointing others to Jesus? How are you helping others see Jesus in your day-to-day? Just like when I was with that astronomer looking at the same thing, he had this laser pointer that reached across the sky and could highlight everything he was talking about. How are we, as followers of Christ, pointing people to the very work of God that is right there in front of everyone's eyes? That's the invitation and the challenge that Jesus gives us. This time, I'm going to invite our worship team and prayer team to come forward. And as they do, um, I would like to invite you to pull out your connection card because I have a couple questions for you. And uh, we use these as a form of application, as a form of reflection. And I would ask if each of you could at least answer one of those questions. That would be super helpful um, as they just help us know how to pray for you and how things are connecting with you. And so on the back, if you flip that over, that'd be great. 
And again, you could just pick one. First question, really important one, is have you had your heart cleansed? Have you ever come to a point in your life where you've been humbled by your sin? You've mourned over it to where you recognize your inability to do anything about it yourself. That you hunger and thirst for righteousness, that you've experienced the feeling that comes when you receive God's mercy and his sins are washed away from you. Your heart is made clean. If you've never come to that point where you've received the gift of God's grace, this morning, God wants to wash your sins away. He wants to give you a pure heart. And as the prayer team's up here, they are more than happy to talk with you about that. You can write it on your connection card. I want to experience Jesus. I want my heart cleansed. And one of us will talk to you. You could come talk to me. Uh, If that's you, um, please don't leave without letting us know. Number two, though, on a scale of one to ten, how would you rate your ability to see God at work in and through and around you? Be honest. There's not a trick question here. Just... How is that for you? And then number three, list any areas or situations in your life where you find it hard to see God. And, and we can be honest. There's certain places we come to church, we might find it super easy, almost effortless. But when I walk outside and I get home or I get to my workplace, it's difficult. What's getting in the way of you seeing God in that or those areas in your life? What is causing you to be distracted from seeing God at work. So again, as you do answer those, I would love to hear from you. Um, And then as you leave today, at each one of the doors, there's a wood box. You could just slide the card in there. That would be um, fantastic. But what's going to happen is I'm going to close this in prayer. The worship team's going to play a bit. uh, Be people up here for you to pray with if you would like prayer. And um, they're just going to allow a little space for you to reflect and answer those questions. And then they'll invite us to sing one last song of response. But before we do, let me close us in prayer. Jesus, for the majority of us who have a relationship with you, we have seen you. We've experienced something of your grace, something of your unconditional love and your forgiveness. We've experienced something of your leading and your guiding. We've experienced something of your provision and your protection. And it's helped us see you. And God, we desperately long to see more of you. God, we ask that you would cleanse us. Wash us clean again. Help us not to be double-minded. Help us to be giving ourselves to you. God, help us to see the things you want us to see. Help us to be men and women who are looking out for what you're doing right in front of us. And help us to be men and women who point it out. But Jesus, we ask that you would start with us through your Holy Spirit. Fill us anew. Take us, our lives, we offer it to you. We ask your will to be done. We ask for your empowering. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for your grace. Be with us as we continue in our service. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.